Thank you, Martin. And it's always a, uh, a good moment when you've prepared a talk to sit there during the worship and have almost all of it sung, prayed and shared as the Holy Spirit is working amongst us. And the great news is that I can actually prove it because I have a printed copy here, which was printed at home before I left the house. What a wonderful morning um, already. Our media has been full of remembrance-related activities. People have been wearing poppies for weeks and even more so today as we consider Remembrance Day. People have been arguing in the news as well, haven't they, as well, about what we should or shouldn't do around remembrance. It's been very much at the top of the agenda. And so one thing we're going to do today is we're going to talk about some of the different emotions that remembrance can bring up. We're going to look at our, our response as Christians. We're going to look at the subject of remembrance and, and every year there's different reasons why it, it comes to the fore so much. But at the moment with what we see on the TV screens in Gaza and Ukraine and stuff like that, it just the, the idea, the, the reality of war is just very real to us at the moment because we see it on our screens every day. At the end of World War I, what was started out as Armistice Day then became Remembrance Day after World War II. Whole generations in this country scarred by war. And yet we're moving beyond the generations who experienced those world wars firsthand. What we have now is the, is the memory, is, is their stories being passed down through generations. And of course... That wasn't the end of the conflict, was it? If you take just this country, you can consider Korea, Northern Ireland, Iraq, Afghanistan, the Falklands. There are all sorts of conflicts that we've been involved with in this country. There are people who still bear the scars, physical or mental, of being involved in conflict. But I think many of us, and me certainly, you know, I am British, so I approach the idea of remembrance from quite a British perspective, but within the church family, we're very aware that we've got people here this morning from the USA, Romania, South Africa, Malaysia, China, Germany, Nigeria, Zambia, Ireland, India, and still others. I'm really sorry if I missed you out. That was my best effort. We represent countries that have fought with the British, sometimes fought against the British, and sometimes a bit of both. But we're here today, one man, one woman in Christ, drawn together in the unity of the Lord Jesus and remembering together. I'd suggest to you this morning that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring people together in such a way. But each of us will have a sense of almost like a national consciousness of what remembrance means for us and how conflict has shaped the nations that we represent. So remembrance is like almost like a universal language of humanity. People have gone before and some of those people have paid a huge sacrifice so we can be where we are today, so we can have what we have today. And of course, in the UK, there's a very clear link with the Royal British Legion and the role within our military in this country. So there is a very real military aspect. To those of you who have served our country to protect our freedom, we thank you. 
Remembrance can also be a difficult notion for uh, civilian populations who've been scarred by the impact and the effects of war. A war that they themselves weren't even fighting in. I remember my own family was caught up in a civil conflict uh, in West Africa when I was a child. And I saw firsthand, even though I was only about four, I saw the impact that that had on my parents. I remember very vividly having an armoured car parked outside the compound that we and some other missionary families lived in. And it was there to keep us safe. But as a child, to know that you needed that to keep you safe was a bit scary because that has an impact on you. Families are changed because of war. In my own family, my granddad um, was on my mum's side um, was in uh, the Royal Artillery as an anti-aircraft gunner and he was a sergeant of an anti-aircraft battery and he got posted to the Faroe Islands um, in the the Mid-Atlantic and uh, and, uh, trying to stop the German bombers attacking the oil that was there to refuel the Atlantic convoys. And so that was his his job. And while being posted there, he met my grandma, who was a local Faroese girl. So my family's been forever changed in who we are by the impact of war, not even in suffering, but in the turmoil and the changes. It does also mean that I'm eligible to play football for three teams. I'm eligible to play for England by birth, Wales by blood, and also the Faroe Islands through my grandma. And... uh, and uh, as, a, uh, you know, as a younger man, when I, when I played football, the only thing re- that really stopped me um, realising my dream of playing for the Faroe Islands was that I was still rubbish. <laughs> and, uh, and so you can lower the bar as low as you want, but you just cannot fight nature. But that's okay, because 25 years later, I'm, I'm, I'm through that. That's fine. That's fine. But the, the actual biology of my family has changed because of war. Three quarters Welsh, one quarter Viking, and don't forget it. (laughs) Remembrance Day can be quite a difficult concept for those of us who really don't want war at all. And there's a very good uh, theological basis for complete pacifism as a view. And and while personally I think there there can be an argument for just war, um, it's absolutely the last resort at all times. So this day isn't like a like a celebration of the military in the wrong way. It's not, it's not about nationalism in the wrong way, but we remember the service. We remember the suffering. We pray that these things never, ever happen again. For many of us, this day is intensely personal. When we remember, we remember a person or people. For me, it's Private Gwilym David Griffiths of the 13th Parachute Battalion, the South Lancashire Regiment, my grandfather's brother. The 3rd of April, 1945, just four weeks before the end of the Second World War, he was killed, aged just 23. So that's my great uncle, that's my grandfather's brother. I have his name. I was given his name within our family, Gwilym David Griffiths. So today I bring my children to exercise our religious freedom in an open democracy. And as a family, we remember him. He was the cost that our family paid. And many of our families have the same story 
an opportunity this week in our midweek groups to reflect on that. So war and the, um, and the bravery and stuff that's shown in war, it can make heroes out of ordinary people as we tell their stories. And there's one type of person in war that's always amazed me that I just, I just can't quite get my head around it. And that's the people who have volunteered to serve, but um, like as a conscientious objector or because of their faith, they've gone as like a chaplain or as a medical orderly. And I just cannot quite imagine in my mind volunteering for war in a role where you yourself don't get a gun. The film Hacksaw Ridge is about a guy called Desmond Doss who's a pacifist as a a Seventh-day Adventist, Um, but he signs up as a combat medic, and he was the first conscientious objector in the USA to win the Medal of Honor for bravery and the tagline that Hollywood gave to it. One of the greatest heroes in American history never fired a bullet. I should warn you, I've just mentioned that film. It's quite a brutal depiction of war, so please don't see that as a recommendation to everyone. But he represented Christ even under the most difficult circumstances, and his story is famous 75 years later. So, remembrance is international, it's national, it's personal, and it makes heroes out of ordinary people. Today, many of us are wearing these poppies, and the poppy is uh, a a beautiful flower, but it's an odd sort of flower because it grows in disturbed ground. Their seeds will fall to the ground and can be there for many years, but then when the ground is turned over, all of these flowers that you didn't necessarily know were there will spring forth. Normally, that would happen through plowing, but at the time that mechanized warfare began, um, we'd found a different way of churning the fields. And so, it was in Belgium especially, half a million people lost their lives over a short period of time, and the poppies grew in the disturbed land. The red covering the fields, almost like a metaphor, like a, a, a reminder for humanity of the bloodshed that had occurred in those places But also, beauty growing out of suffering, life coming forth even in the place of death. So with all of these things in mind and different backgrounds and and, and the ways we ourselves reflect, how are we going to respond to remembrance today? And as always, what I want to do is turn to the scriptures The Christian faith has at its very heart this idea of remembrance. The Christian faith is built on a notion of sacrifice. And the Christian faith seeks to see a kingdom come where there will be no more pain, no more injustice, no more invasion, only peace. A kingdom ruled by the Prince of Peace. And that's where we're headed as we look at the scriptures. And so we're going to be looking at this book of 1 Corinthians. Paul's written this important letter to the great city of Corinth, a Greek city. It was a large trading city. It was a port. There were lots of people 
coming and going. There was a lot of wealth. There was a lot of transience. Uh, some of the industries that can surround that even to this day, including the, the sex industry, was massive in that area. And so he writes a letter to the church that's, that's uh, all these different influences in this place that they live. And so he writes them this letter of encouragement and challenge. And his message is basically this. Jesus Jesus, Jesus, pointing them to Jesus again and again and again. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Look at the resurrected Christ. Whatever the turmoil or the confusion of the day, of your culture, of your situation, look to Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. And so we're going to pick it up with some verses that we've already had read on a communion Sunday. 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's two acts of remembrance going on in this passage. First of all, Paul is remembering what he'd heard, what he'd received, and he's passing it on. And what he's passing on is that Jesus regularly instructed them to remember his sacrifice. So this sense of remembrance and sacrifice is right at the heart of the Christian message. It's right at the heart of the good news that we profess. We are a people of remembrance, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. To our knowledge, there were no poppies um, on the hill just outside Jerusalem, but there was sacrifice, a sinless saviour taking upon himself the punishment that humanity deserved in order to restore us to our loving Father in heaven. The Lord Jesus, having already sac sacrificed his, his glory of heaven for the hardship of the life that he experienced and then sacrificing that life itself for us. Unbelievable. So this idea of remembrance is right at the heart of Christianity spreading. That's what they did. Telling people of his suffering, telling people of his sacrifice. You see that when it says they were breaking bread in each other's homes at the beginning of Acts. That is literally what they were doing. But ultimately, doing it because they were telling the story of his victory. Because in the act of remembrance, when I think of remembrance today, I think of rows upon rows of the, the gravestones in northern Europe. That's what comes to mind. But the sacrifice of Jesus, it doesn't end with a grave or a gravestone. Paul goes on, chapter 15, to explain what also needs to be remembered, what also needs to be passed on through the many generations. We looked at this a few weeks ago as we were introducing James in our series. This is 15 from verse 3. For what I received I passed on to you 
as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born so again what he has received he is passing on he is telling the story he's allowing future generations to understand and to live in the good of it he is remembering in order that we too can remember he's writing it down so future generations can remember The people who saw Christ, the people who experienced him are passing on what they've seen and what they've heard. They're giving account, they're bearing witness of what they know of Jesus. And our role, our calling from God in our generation is to pass on what we have seen and what we have experienced of the risen Jesus in our generation and into the generations to come. Compared to all that we've already thought about today, though, this sacrifice, it does have a major difference. Because this sacrifice finishes not with death, but with life. The victory that we're remembering today, it's not a a military or, or a political sort, but it's a victory over death itself. And here are our witnesses And that's why Paul says, I'm passing this on as of first importance. The most important thing. So the remembrance that we've done today, it is really, really important. The prayers that we've prayed today, they are really, really important. They really are. The peace that we seek for our world today, that's really, really important. But of first importance... Above it all is that the Lord Jesus is alive. That is what is the resurrection of Christ. That is of first importance as we remember. A greater victory than any of the armies or empires of human history. A victory that wasn't just for one moment in time, for one person or one people in one place. But a victory that has shaped every generation the true hero of the biggest story, the true sacrifice, Jesus. And this gives us great hope, great hope for now and great hope for the future. It gives us a different way of viewing our world. The bitter truth is that every generation seems to have found a way of developing new and unique ways to cause suffering and pain to one another. Our technological advancement, we've used it for good and we've used it for increasing acts of devastation against each other. That's just true. Turn on the news. I don't think I need to prove that to you. The true peace that we seek It's it's not going to be found in the debating chamber of the United Nations. However good all of those political things are, no. All of this suffering and what we see around us and the yearning in our hearts that says this isn't right. There must be a future that's different to this. 
that's building to the time in the future where the true hero, the Lord Jesus, is going to come and bring a, a true peace, an everlasting peace. And in his letter to Corinth, Paul, in chapters that we haven't read, he's already talked about this coming kingdom already. In chapter 4, he says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. In chapter 6, he says, basically, we need to sort ourselves out now because the kingdom of God is coming. And then later on, while talking about Jesus in chapter 15, he says this. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God... the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, sorry, after he has handed over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Dominion, authority, and power is at the heart of all war, destructive spiritual forces outplaying in our world and bringing destruction. But the Lord Jesus will overcome it all. You see, the greatest enemy of humanity, it's not each other. It's not. It's not that other country. It's not that other political system. It's not that other religion. No. The greatest, the greatest enemy of humanity is death. Death itself. You can survive the war, but you will still die but even death cannot escape the victory of the Lord Jesus the last enemy death itself is going to be swallowed up by this coming kingdom a new kingdom where there's no there's no war there's no suffering there's no there's no fighting at the end of our worship Keith prayed out and he sung out about Jesus coming in glory Nick shared, the kingdom is coming like a flood and everything that he explained about that. The coming kingdom is where our hope lies. And we we do actually get to both see and reflect glimpses of that on a day-to-day basis. We, We carry like a foretaste of that kingdom with us as followers of Jesus, in the way that we reflect what Christ has done to us, in the way that we act towards other people through the sacrifices that we make, through the way we uh, look to uphold justice in the world around us by being peacemakers and peacekeepers in the situation that we find ourselves in, and also by passing on this great hope of remembrance by passing on this great hope in the death and the resurrection and the coming again of the Lord Jesus so drawing it to a close we will remember the sacrifice of those who've gone before we will all of them we will remember them but how much more so will we also remember Christ his sacrifice and his story as of first importance. Somebody prayed, thank you, Lord, that we can look forward with faith and expectation because this kingdom of God is coming. And I want to say to that an absolutely massive amen.
And that's where we're going to land because I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward. And I would love to finish with the song, I Cast My Mind to Calvary, which is a little bit like, almost if you get like a, a, tra- a shoe, your trainers, and you just pull the laces together, and then you tie it all together in a, in a, in a firm knot that just brings it all together and ties it into place with everything we've already sung, with the things we've been stirred with by the Spirit, and with elements of my talk, I really feel that this song draws it all together and ties it together and leaves us as a people lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus in our generation. Amen.